All right, and we're back with another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Lakers Fast Break, Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and Game Source. I want to thank everybody out there in this time of crisis and pandemic for listening to all of our shows. We truly appreciate it, and we cannot thank you enough for doing so. I love it still because there's so much to talk about when it concerns the NBA draft. I just am so glad to continue these conversations He's back one more time, and I'm just so glad to have him back on the show. It is the man behind NBA Draft Junkies. you got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today at NBADraftJunkies.com. Plus, also, like his videos and subscribe to his channel, NBA Draft Junkies, where you get detailed breakdown analysis of a lot of the future NBA draft choices out there, or at least they hope so anyways, and at least... In some cases, they're entourages. Hope so. Anyways, because <laughs> as as you know, there's a lot of entourages with some of these individuals that are you know working so hard to try and get into the draft. But is it? A, but it is a good man indeed. It is Rafael Barlow, and thanks so much. I truly appreciate you spending more time with me on this week's show. No problem. It's always a pleasure. All right. I'm going to, like I said, the feelers have been sent out on that thing we were talking about. So I'm hoping to hear back from, from uh, individuals so we can do that. So just wanted to let, let you know on that secret thing you and I were working on behind the scenes here at the Lakers Fast Break. So uh, I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I hope so because I think it'll be a treat for the listeners out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing if we can pull that off. But it is a great episode we've got in store for everyone out there. If you want to get more into the detail as far as the NBA draft, but I wanted to go ahead and let everybody know if you can, please subscribe to our channel, Lakers Fast Break, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts and you really like what we do, please, if you can, five stars. We truly appreciate it. It helps Laker fans and basketball fans get a hold of our show. It becomes more prominent, becomes more out there, and we truly cannot thank you enough for doing so. And if you have any questions for Raphael, any of our draft experts that have been on the show, Laker Tom, TJ, or anyone else, please let us know, or myself, you know, I, you can ask me as well, LakersFastBreak at Yahoo.com or at LakersFastBreak on Twitter. All right, so all that's done, all that, you know, and we're going ahead with what we can on the NBA draft here. So first thing I wanted to ask you, my friend, is we're going to go position by position, you know, as you come back and return on the show. So I thought we'd first break down a position that, I don't know if it truly exists in the same way it existed back when you and I were younger. And that's the power forward because these days power forwards can be anything from a three going up to a four or sometimes even a shooting guard, tall shooting guards are covering power forwards and certain sets and whatnot. Just ask the Houston Rockets, you know, take a look at them see who they put a power forward sometimes back underneath the basket. Sometimes the power forwards, they go to the five and they play more at the five these days. So it's kind of weird how it is now evolved, the position itself. But let's say statistically what you still categorize these players as, because I still want to go ahead and, and break down position by position in theory on the books, what they're listed at. So I want to hear your thoughts on the top 10 power forwards as of now. Now, again, I want to tell everybody out there, as of now, there's still a long way to go in this process, a lot more evaluation that Raphael has to do. But as of now, the type of feelings you have for the top 10 power forwards that are currently enrolled in the NBA draft. 
it's a tough position to to evaluate if you break it down by power four because like you said it's it's such a hybrid position now so when i was coming up with my list of guys who i thought were top 10 i'm like okay is he a center if i were drafting him i think he's more of a five than a than a four or some players i said they may start at the three but i think that in a closing lineup they may close games at the four so it's kind of it's kind of tough, but I've had the same issue with the um, with the point guards too. You know, there's a lot of guys that are more so combo guards than than point guards. So with this whole situation where positionless basketball, it's kind of hard to put players in a box. It is kind of hard to put them in a box and to go ahead and categorize. Hey, this guy is strictly a power forward, but let's just say you know you have that structure on on players in college that predominantly played the power four position because mm-hmm. as you know just because they played power four position in college doesn't mean they're going to play that in the nba but you know right now as you see it uh mm-hmm. who is the number 10 prospect as far as uh, you know what a power forward might be you know coming out of college or or the international scene as well yeah the guy who i have at, at number 10 this international player, um, Paul Ibois. He plays in Italy. He's he's from Cameroon. He's a guy that if I were a team, I would take a, I would definitely take a shot at as a, a second round pick or, you know, maybe if he gets undrafted, a first day two-way guy. Very athletic. He's raw. He does show some potential to knock down shots, but very good explosive run and jump athlete. Um, he's six eight, so he's it's kind of like that tweener position, but he's long, and I see him as a, a guy that can make an impact running the floor as a role man. And if he can develop as a shooter, I mean it's a it's a good gamble for a team to take him in the second round. That seems to be in this draft the theme of the day. Oh, that seems to be the you know, theme of the day at almost every draft. If he can develop as a shooter, I, I, I think it's going to come to the point where you're going to just be copying and pasting. You're going to put that on your clipboard, on your mouse. You're just going to put that a program in there and just like paste, 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 control V, control V on it and just all that. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can say that, like you said, for nearly every prospect. It's like your potential was maximized by, by your ability to shoot. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what... The, the run for the Golden State Warriors has done. And, and, you know, speaking as a Lakers fan, seeing the last time they were involved in the NBA Finals and seeing that team and what it evolved into, maybe the Dallas Mavericks, maybe the Miami Heat to an extent. But the Miami Heat to an extent started to blend that old school of basketball into what was becoming a new form and the new way of it because of, of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and and how they were playing mm-hmm. and Chris Bosh, uh, you know, not being that traditional five, but playing a lot of that during his days in Miami, you yep. saw that starting to blend, but obviously the, the popularity and the success of Golden State has necessitated that type of mindset and the NBA, as you and I have seen, especially in the last five years, has transitioned into that type of of offense and defense and the way that they structure everything now where the things that were important before are no longer important now. Yeah. And there's some guys that would be top 
you know, five picks 20 years ago who the way the game has changed may not even get drafted in the first round. Yeah, and that's something that will continue to take place over the course. In fact, a lot of these players that, like you said, could have been first round or would have been high up, would have been lottery picks or whatnot, may even have trouble staying in the NBA for any length of time just because they have not developed the skill set that's needed now in today's Mm -hmm. NBA. And uh, I think think now Jaleel Okafor uh, Mm -hmm. is someone that comes to mind that I think in the 90s or in the 2000s would have excelled. And it's just, unfortunately, in today, you know, he just grew up too late. He just grew up too late and, and unfortunately is a man, almost a man out of time, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, even when he does play, he puts up pretty good numbers. Obviously, his biggest issue is defending in space when he's in the game. Teams are going to they're gonna attack him on, on defense. But... As far as just if you give him the ball on the block in isolation, I don't think there's many people that can stop him in a one-on-one. And if he played in 2000 or 2002 or 2003, I definitely think that he would be an all-star. And that's the thing, because unfortunately it's not 2000. It's 2020, 20 years later, and the game has evolved indeed. And uh, just so interesting and fascinating to see where we have it. And, I don't want to sit here and be that old man on the lawn that says, get off my lawn type deal. I like where it's going. I'm going to be honest with you that uh, I loved, I love the way the Golden State Warriors at their height were playing the mm-hmm. game of basketball. If you were just a basketball purist and you were watching the way they were playing, pass, 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 shoot those three pointers, pass, pass, pass. Just, just the technique involved from a half-court setting was probably some of the most beautiful basketball I have ever seen in a half-court setting. Yeah, and, and especially if you consider that they played a lot of isolation ball uh, the year before Kerr was there. They ran a lot of plays where Harrison Barnes was playing one-on-one. With Mark Jackson, correct? Yep. And so when, when uh, Steve Kerr came, he definitely implemented a, a system where the ball moves a lot faster. But something that I had talked to my brother about yesterday when we did our our podcast, I feel like if you look back, maybe even back to the Bulls era, the four position is probably one of the most important. And the teams that won always had a four man that could create for others. So you look at the Bulls had, they could bring Tony Kukoc in at the four and he could dribble, pass, shoot, make plays for others. You look at the Lakers and the second run, they had Lamar Odom, who could get a rebound, push the ball, make plays for others at the four. Um, Dallas didn't necessarily have that. You know, all the teams with LeBron, you could play LeBron at the four and he could get a rebound, push the ball, make a play for others. Um, even with Toronto last year, Siakam could make plays for others if needed. You could go small and play Kawhi at the four. Um and then Golden State had Draymond when he was when he started the game at the four, he finished at the five. But when he was at the five, they had Iguodala at the four. And so, again, you had a man that could play the four, that could hit the open man in the corner. They just had another ball mover. So if I were selecting a power forward in today's NBA, I'm looking for somebody that I can slide at the four that can also dribble pass and shoot 
I mean, th those guys don't grow on trees, but if you can find that, I think it's a weapon that makes everybody around your team better. I agree wholeheartedly. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Once again, I'm talking to Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. You got to check out his great work today, including, and I just saw it on his YouTube page, a discussion, I will put it as this, or a discussion, per se, with his brother on NBA Draft Hopeful. James Wiseman could be a top pick by the Golden State Warriors. You never know. That's on his YouTube page right now, NBA Draft Junkies. Well, we got through number 10 before I got sidetracked, but I wanted to go ahead and reel us back in, and I apologize for that. But, you know, just love talking draft and all these other scenarios and the way the game has changed. Just love getting those conversations. We talked about number 10. Who is your number nine pick right now? And again, to everybody out there, this is right now. As of right now, things will always change when it comes to the NBA draft. Power forward that you're looking at for this upcoming NBA draft. It's the one we talked about a couple of days ago, Trendon Watford. I think that he's more of a four than a three. He's listed at 6'9", 235, broad shoulders. He can attack closeout, so he's a guy that can put the ball on the floor. Pretty decent ball handler for a size. You know, back in the day, he'll be listed as a tweener, which was bad. <laughs> you know, you know, we're going back 15, 20 years ago, being a tweener is one of the worst things that you could be labeled. Yes. But right now, it's, it's actually um, something that's very endearing. Yeah. So he's a classic tweener. So I have him more as a four than a three. He's a pretty decent shooter, can make threes. What he does lack is like that above the rim athleticism. Um, he's not very fast. He's a below-the-rim finisher when he's around the rim. But he's someone that I think, uh, of course, his shooting, again, is um, going to be important as far as is, um, how far he'll, you know, as far as maximizing his potential. But he's who I have number nine right now. One thing I want to ask you when it comes to him is, okay, he does not have that explosive athleticism that I know all mm -hmm. these NBA, team you know, NBA teams desire. One thing I wanted to ask you is, if that's the case, there's still the prospect of that he could be very effective defensively if he moves his feet well. And then also, does he box out and does he get the rebounds? Because, you know, we see with, let's say, Brooke Lopez, who's always mm -hmm. been known as atrocious rebounder, but mm -hmm. is actually one of the best at blocking people out because he gives other people on his team the opportunity to get the rebound. So while he may not have the stats for rebound, he's actually very vital because he's blocking out the opponents so that the other teammates can go ahead and grab the ball. So I ask you, can he still be effective in that matter? Do you see things in his talent that would say, you know what, he can be a vital contributor on the floor? I think he's a good rebounder. He has about seven rebounds a game. He attacks the offensive glass, which – you know, depending on the team that he goes to in the system may or may not be an advantage because I've noticed a lot of teams now don't even attack the offensive glass. As soon as the shot 
goes up, they have the they get back to set up their defense. But um, offensive rebounding is one of his strengths. As far as like defensively, it's it's tough. I, I don't I don't think that he has the mobility to defend in space. I think he's a, he's a guy that once he gets on the floor, um, teams are just going to seek him out looking for the mismatches. But he plays hard, and and that's something that you know may make up for what he lacks in elite athleticism and, and foot speed. But he does play with energy and effort, and so that that may be something that you can that you can build upon. Now, as far as I don't think you're going to find anybody that's going to box out like the Lopez brothers. I mean, I think not only Brooke, but even his brother Robin. Yeah. Um, I remember when he played for the Blazers, that was just one of the things that he did was he boxed out a couple of guys. And I would love to see the NBA or an advanced stat that shows other than, I mean, of course they'll show you the plus minus, but who's best in the NBA at creating rebounding opportunities for teammates? I agree with you on that because as you see, as someone who sees it on a regular basis when he was watching the games when they were when they were live, you know, the Lakers have JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard. They have those guys that are in their early 30s that still love to think themselves as the leapers. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. Dwight Howard still participates in Sam Dunn. But as we saw with Zion Williamson, if you don't box him out, he's going to jump over you. So there are always a set of younger, fresher legs out there that are going to go ahead and prove you wrong unless you box out. And that seems to be the way of the league. I see so many guys that have the position but don't box out and then ends up costing them as far as an offensive rebound and a putback. And you see it all the time because they just don't go ahead and take that fundamental step of boxing someone out. Yeah, they rely on just – pure athleticism and in vertical. It's kind of like if you ever played basketball with women and you're like, man, why are you boxing out so hard? And it's because they don't have the athleticism to out jump you. So they're literally putting a body, hip, elbow to get position. And that's something that NBA players don't necessarily do because, you know. Everybody thinks they can out jump everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think Zach Randolph should have a, a, a school of, getting 10 rebounds on the floor <laughs> without he even jumping. anybody yeah, him and Marcus all, I think both can do. Oh it. yeah. Yep. <laughs> but that's a good assessment right there for you. And, and like I said, it just, sometimes it's just about the fundamentals and I know it, it, to me, it just seems like, I think that's a bigger case study about, you know, all the way going down to the AU and all that and high school, college and whatnot. They're not teaching or not emphasizing it enough as far as boxing out is concerned. I, I think that's apparent because as these kids become more athletic, they forget or they're not re- told to remember some of these little things that could help them in their later careers. So, you know, it just, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you know, you, youth is what it, you, it is, but these, these AAU and, and uh, high school and colleges, they have to go ahead and start reinforcing those, those uh, fundamentals to go ahead and, and, Get these kids, uh, you know, a better chance to go ahead and succeed in the NBA. I agree. <laughs> that PSA was bought, brought to you by Gerald Glassford, the Lakers fast break. But going back to number eight, again, I'm going off on a tangent. I'm just going off on the tangent today. Uh, number eight for power forwards. Uh, what? Who do you have? I have a kid by the name of Amar 
Sila, Sila, I might be mispronouncing it. I actually had a chance to watch him play this summer or last summer in Greece. Skinny, he's slim, but he's very agile. He's athletic, has the, the vertical pop and explosion. He has everything that that um, Watford doesn't have. <laughs> they're, they're total opposites. One is strong, broad shoulders and plays on the ground, and one is very slim, but just a pogo stick athlete. He does have some shooting ability. Um, he's he's about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, so he's kind of a, a wiry guy. Actually, he kind of reminds me, as far as the physical profile, of Bonga that, that was with the Lakers um, a couple seasons ago, or was it last year? Uh, it was a couple seasons ago, but... Uh... Okay. Yeah, I remember Magic was seeing a lot of himself in in Isaac Bonga, and I don't know, was it Fran Fraschilla who said to, about another player, he was two years away from being two years away? Yeah. That reminded me of Isaac Bonga. I mean, yes, he was getting time on Washington as a starter, but what was mm -hmm. it, under 10, 15 minutes a game, and it really wasn't making an impact yet. I mean, there's still a future for him, but he's got to develop a lot more if he's going to be an impact player in the NBA. But he has the profile. I mean, he has the a little bit of guard things for size. It's just a matter of the right team to develop him and and just giving him time. He's he's so young. But yeah, I, I would if I were a team, I would, he's a guy that I figure that I would be arrogant enough to say I can make him a high level NBA starter. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, like <laughs> I said, the book's still out on him. I'm hoping for his development because he seemed like a good kid uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm hoping for his future that it does develop into not only becoming a, you know, decent NBA player, but just someone who can make a big impact on a team. So I'm, I'm rooting for the kid. Uh, it just, you know, when Magic Johnson says some of those things, it sets you up uh, down a path that maybe it's really hard to follow. So yeah, it's just, you know, it, 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 you know, I feel for the kid. I feel for the kid basically. Uh, so who do you have number seven before I go off on another tangent on Isaac Monga? Number seven, I have, and we talked about him on one of the last ones, and I, I think he's, I mean, he's probably listed as a three on a lot of boards, but I have him as a four on mine, and it's Jordan Wara from um, Louisville. So I like him as a four uh, just because I think that's where he can have the biggest advantage on, on the floor is by playing the four because he's a shooter. And he can also create and on his own. And, and um, if you need him to, he can attack closeouts and he can shoot pull-ups off the dribble. So I think that's where he would have his biggest advantage at is playing the four spot. And he's a guy that I mentioned that if I were the Lakers, somebody that I would take a strong look at. He might be where based on where you have him might be available at that point in time. So that's a, that's a good assessment right there. And if he can space the floor at all, and obviously rookies are not going to, especially on a, a team that has championship aspirations, he's most likely not going to get much time in, in at first or maybe it's G League or what have you. But I think that in time or maybe by the end of his rookie season, he can develop into a player that can give you 10, 15 minutes a game by spacing outside. And then who knows from there? Yeah, I mean, I, I even think that he's a guy that if he went to the Lakers, he could – He's one of the few that I feel like could actually crack the rotation, the back end of the rotation, if he were on that team. And just because of what he brings to the table, 
He shot over 40% from three this year, averaged 18 points. He's a pretty good rebounder. Doesn't need the ball. So he's a guy that can knock down the open shots. And like I mentioned, if, if it's a hard closeout, he can make a play. Not He's not much of a passer, but he can you know, shoot the pull-up dribble, and then he can attack mismatches if there's a, a switch and there's a smaller guard on him. So he's someone that I think that is one of the few guys that I feel like if he went to the Lakers could actually earn some minutes early in his career. Hopefully uh, somebody that can, like you said, earn those mittens. Uh, we've seen late draft picks from the Lakers before earn significant minutes, uh, i.e. Kyle Kuzma, i.e. Josh Hart, i.e. Ivica Zubac. So, yeah, definitely uh, somebody that could make an impression if he's available at that slot. And that's somebody that the Lakers should consider. Mm-hmm. So who you have at number six, I think we're at? Number six? Yeah, number six is another guy that's probably listed as a, a three, but I, I have him as a four. Patrick Williams from Florida State. I actually had a chance to watch him last summer, just work out and six eight. He's athletic. He fits the mold of a, a three and D guy. Well, potential as a, as a three and D guy. Right now, his his shot is decent, but I wouldn't call him close to a specialist, but when it comes to like the physical tools and the profile you're looking for in a modern day hybrid three, four, he fits the bill. I think uh, defensively he'll be able to switch out and defend multiple positions. He again, doesn't need the ball. He's a complimentary piece that can fit well next to a superstar, run the floor and transition, make plays above the rim, plays with effort and Again, for like the third or fourth time, developing his outside shooting and spacing the floor is going to be what determines his potential in the NBA. You know, like you said, it's all about developing those skills and even further and taking the time and work in the gym to go ahead and build upon that. So, yeah, definitely something that we need to keep an eye on as well, especially if he falls. No injury history with him. I don't think so. And I know he's really young and I probably have him. I probably have him lower than other guys just based off of right now. But as far as potential, he probably should be higher because when I met him last summer, I want to say he may have been 17. So he's really young. So he's he's probably the same age as some guys that are high school juniors right now, especially with the way some of some of the players are. are um reclassifying so but long-term potential he could easily be top three or top four on my list of, of power fours but based off of how i feel right now i have him sixth we'll be back with more of the lakers fast break podcast check out what's been going on with the pop culture cosmo show and the pcc multiverse I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being 
being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. We're going to start the top five right now. So who do you have in the top five, starting with number five? So next is a guy I really like out of DePaul. And I'm probably a little biased because DePaul is actually my middle name. So... So I've always kind of had a, you know, a love for for players out of DePaul dating back to like Quinn Richardson. I was too the young. For, yep, I was too young for Mark Aguirre and Terry Cummings, but the Quinn Richardson, Bobby Simmons teams. Um, Paul Reed is a, he fills the stat sheet. He rebounds. He blocks shots. He gets steals. Has shown that he can knock down threes. I don't know if it stretches out to, to NBA range, but he's a guy that's just active. I think that he could have a long NBA career as an energy guy that just comes in and and just does whatever a team needs for him to just does whatever a team needs out of him. So I like him a lot. I probably have him higher than than most, but it's just my opinion. Well, because you're calculating intangibles into that. You're calculating the fact that he's going to go ahead and provide you those little things you may not see on the score sheet that helps these teams win, especially those that are at or near a playoff level competition. Yeah. And one thing that you can't really teach is athleticism and energy and effort. And so for him, like this year, he averaged over two and a half blocks a game. I know he had 10.7 rebounds, shows flashes have been a decent passer, averaged also two steals. So he just fills out the stat sheet. He's a guy that I could see a playoff team drafting late in, in the first round and cracking the rotation and just being that guy on the second unit that the fans love because he goes out and makes all the hustle plays. He'll block a shot here. He'll run the floor here. He'll pick up a steal. He'll switch out. So he's a guy that, I, like I said, I really like his, his um, potential to be an ideal complementary role player. And that's what you're going to see at this point in time from this draft is – while there's, as you and I talked about before on a previous podcast, while there's no real standout, surefire, automatic all-stars or top-level players, there's a lot of role players in this draft that can make significant contributions. And this draft, as far as filling out from a roster standpoint for each of these rosters down the road, could be very valuable. I agree. I think it's going to be a role-player draft. I think you may not get superstars, but you're going to get a lot of guys that that can come in and, and be high-level role players. I agree with you on that. It looks like something that a lot of people, you know, it's not going to have the shine that a lot some of the other drafts have, but it could be a draft that has a lot of quality players that will see five, ten years down the road and say, you know what, that was a quality draft for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, so who do you got number four in the top ten power forwards right now that have declared for the NBA draft? This is another guy that is probably listed as a three in some and on some boards. He's undersized. He's like six seven, maybe two twenty, soaking wet. And you may have had a chance to watch him play in, in the Pac twelve, but I really like Tyler Bay from Colorado. He's another energy guy. Between Bay, Reed, and Williams, they could all be interchangeable. Bay kind of reminds me of a poor man, Sean Marion, as far as just 
the energy, running the floor, just the little stuff that he he does on the team. He averaged like nine rebounds a game this year. His rebounding was a little bit down from from last year, but his three-point shooting was up. He shot close to 42% from three this year, and he's another guy that's kind of – he reminds me of Brandon Clark a little bit, who actually had a pretty good year in, in Memphis, and he – I mean, I thought he should have went higher in the draft, but Memphis got a steal. And Brandon Clark is a player that he made more threes this year than he made his whole college career. And he's got that athleticism. And I think Memphis got a steal. (laughs) He got us. They got a real steal. And I see him as an integral part of their success going forward. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so Bay, he's he's similar. I mean, he's, he's smaller than Clark, but I think that they could have a similar type rookie year. I think Bay's rookie year could be similar to Clark's if he goes into the right situation. Fair enough. Who do you have in your top three? Because here we go with the top three now. So who do you have at number three? All right. This one, I'm swinging for the fences. Unless, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Pokul Juveski from Serbia. I'll I'll let you get this one. I got the last show. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, I, I can't pronounce his name. This is a definitely a swing for the fences pick. I've actually have seen him live. He he was at the and I, I get the tournaments mixed up because I went to the under 19 and the under 18 um Euro Cup tournaments in Greece last summer. And so I get them mixed up from from which is which. I want to say he was at the 18s. He's seven foot. He's fluid. He runs the floor like a like a guard, not like explosive, you know, like come down and take off dunking, but just the way he moves and how agile he is. If you his it seems like his natural position is a point guard. He handles the ball pretty well. He sees the floor. He's a guy who, again, I can just see as a weapon. The downside is he's very, very skinny. And I don't think he's tough. So, but as far as just overall skill in his package, I think that um, he has potential to be a pretty good shooter. He has a nice touch. He can post up a little bit if if it's if the matchup calls for it. I mean, with with his frame, he's he's not going to be able to post up anybody in the NBA for for years to come. But you know, he does post up anyway. But he's definitely a guy that just has a wide array of skills that you can build around. So, like I said, this is a swing for the fence. Um, I've seen his name rise up draft boards. He played on Olympiakos in Greece. He played on their on their B team, but he's a Serbian guy. And, I mean, the Serbians have had a lot of success in the NBA the last few years. Um, with Bogdanovic from the Kings. Obviously, um, Jokic is very successful. So he's another guy in the, in the line of – Serbian players that I think will have an impact in the NBA. But with both those guys, those guys have strength. I mean, Jokic doesn't look like or pop out at you as a physical Mm -hmm. specimen per se, but he obviously has to have some strength to go ahead and play against the best centers in the NBA. And Bogdanovich is another example where he has a body type that will at least go ahead and allow him to mix it up. And your your assessment, I think, is correct because I did get a chance to look at some of some of his tape and obviously his stats. 
it's, it's all about strength. If he doesn't get stronger, then he's going to have an issue sticking in the NBA or at least, not, you know, prevent himself from just sitting on the bench the whole game mm-hmm. uh, and becoming another drug and vendor. But I wanted to ask you this. If he does get stronger, do you see as somebody that could break out from this pack? Possibly. Like I said, as far as skill for skill, he has it. I mean, he has the potential to just be a, a guy that can run four or five pick and rolls. I think that he has the agility where you can play him at the three. He can, if you have a scoring point guard, he can be the secondary playmaker. He's just very, very talented and very skilled. But the there's a couple things that he's missing as far as, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think he's tough. I think he needs to get stronger. And we'll see how he adjusts to playing with on the floor with great athletes. But talent-wise, he's got it. Fair enough. Fair enough. That sounds like a good assessment right there. And like I said, it's all about getting stronger in the gym, all getting conditioning and, uh, you know, getting with the right team. I think a lot of, in a lot of these cases, it's about getting with the right team and the right development plan that's best for them and in the right place for them as a player the situation and and that cannot be understated as far as the situation and the team is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy that I would put in the G, in the G League the first year, depending on where they draft him and depending on the team he goes to. But developing in the G League would be where I would send him, especially if you're a team that your your G League team is in close proximity to the NBA team, where you can actually have them practice with the NBA guys, work out, use the facilities. But like I said, just potential, and it's a swing for the fence. Like he's one of those guys that you don't see seven footers move the way he moves with natural guard skills. Like I think his natural position is a playmaker, a playmaking, ball handling decision maker. He just happens to be seven foot. And that's always a great combination. I mean, the shiny mm-hmm. example of that is even though he doesn't like to be called a seven footer, but let's say he's a seven footer, it's Kevin Durant who obviously is the best example of someone at that height who can move so well and so fluidly, whether or not he does now at this point after an injury, we'll see, but I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt because I think his talent certainly warrants it. Well, he can always shoot. So even if he just has to be a a spot-up shooter, his gravity as a shooter will always make him a 20-point scorer. Well, we're down to two, my friend. Down mm-hmm. to two. So who do you have as your number two choice for the top 10 power forwards right now, as of now, in the NBA draft? Uh, number two, I have Precious Achua. I'm a fan of his game, but I see a lot of boom or bust potential. I think he has a nice set of skills to work along, to work with. He's 6'9", 225. He has over seven-foot reach. He's athletic, big hands. He plays hard, and when I say he plays hard, he plays hard, but it's maybe a little out of control hard where, you know, he's the guy that if he misses a shot, he's going to go get his own rebounds. It leads to him picking up fouls, and he plays out of control. But I like I, I like what he can bring to the team as a weapon. You know, I've seen people compare him to maybe Siakam, I think that he would be at his best in a in a running team and a team that likes to get out on the open floor and transition. Where I think he could be the biggest asset is as a rebounder because he does have the skill set to get the rebound and bring the ball up court himself. 
and attack on straight line drives. His decision making is a is a major work in progress, but just overall talent. I think at the minimum he can have a role as just a hardworking blue collar rebounder. At the minimum, maximum he could end up being a, a four man that can attack closeouts, make plays off the dribble, maybe knock down enough shots from behind the line to make him a respectable driver. And his value as a defender is is probably what's going to earn him the most money simply because I think that he has the athleticism and fluidity and length to be able to, to defend occasionally one through four, maybe even play some small ball center since, you know, teams are going small. And I think that's where he could really be having an advantage on the offensive end is because he's so much faster than the average man his size. So he's a guy that I'll swing for the fences. But I think that if he goes to a team that is not really good at developing, then he could end up being like a, a Thomas Robinson type, where I feel like with Thomas Robinson, I had him high. I mean, he ended up going, I want to say, fourth or fifth. But I think one of his issues is that he didn't understand his role. I think the difference between Thomas Robinson and a Tristan Thompson is Tristan Thompson accepted my job is to set screens, defend, and grab rebounds. Well, uh, Robinson has a little bit more skills, but he wanted to, you know, show off some of his guard skills, and I think that hurt him. So Precious could – I could easily see him falling into that category because he does have some ball handling skills and some guard skills. And in high school, he liked to shoot pull-up jumpers. But like I said, it's boomer bust with him, and I'm going to gamble and and go on the side of, of boom right now. There you go. All right. Well, let's hope that's the case. And for him, you know, as we've seen, like with Thomas Robinson, you said, and many others who just aren't in the right program or don't have the right mindset, they don't do what it takes to, to achieve that status and, and maximize their potential. So we've seen it before. And unfortunately, you, I think you and I are going to be seeing it again many more times down the road. But Hopefully it won't be with him per se. Hi, this is Mr. Holiday from the podcast, My Worst Holiday. And you're listening to the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Coming soon from Rob McCallum Films, Zero Cool Films presents Action Figure Adventure. Super collector Jay Bartlett hits the road once again in search of action figures, most iconic and noteworthy and rare figures, all in the name of creating the most ultimate action figure auction ever. He fronts the cash, the charity benefits in the end. What will he get, how will he get it, and how well will he do? Find out November 1st, 2020. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. We're down to number one, my friend. Number one power forward that you have currently. And this is always subject to change because obviously there's still going to be plenty of time for you to do draft development. You hear draft buzz. You hear what the GMs are saying. You get that scuttlebutt out there. Who do you have right now? sitting at number one for power forwards for the NBA draft? Well, my number one is probably consistent with most draft boards, number one power forward, and that would be Obi Toppin out of Dayton. I mean, he, he had the best year in college basketball this year. We talked about him before. Athletic freak, just vertically explosive. I think his most underrated skill set is his passing. And I think that he does have potential to to become a pretty good floor spacer when he does take the shot. He he would rather 
pass up open shots sometimes. He doesn't seem really, really confident in his ability to knock down jump shots, but he can shoot it. He can post up. He can run the floor, obviously. I think he'd be a very good rim roller. I mean, the biggest issue with him is defensively. As as far as his athleticism vertically, he's not very athletic and mobile when it comes to moving laterally, and uh, he's, he's pretty stiff. So I think in my, in my case, I have him as the number one, but I can see somebody not being as, as high on him as I am simply because they may not see too much upside on the defensive end of the floor. And I agree with that assessment because I've been hearing those same things as well. And you've talked about Obi Toppin before mm-hmm. and uh, him being stiff on the defensive end and just being a vertical jumper and a vertical leaper and not moving his feet very well. And not as you talked about his hips, I think it was the, uh, the thing that was, was talked about most is that yeah, not only you, but others have said, indicated that he doesn't move his hips in the right way laterally to be able to be effective on the defensive end as of yet. Right. But he's, he's just not fluid. It's, it's very stiff and mechanical when it comes to moving side to side. But if you throw it to the moon, he'll, he'll go up there and he'll get it and he'll bring it down. I like him as a talent. I was rooting for him when he was in college. Obviously one of the best players, if not the best player overall in college coming out. And to see where he's at and, you know, it's going to be great for him coming out of a smaller university. That's Mm -hmm. not always the high profile university basketball programs that you see. So it's, it's good to see Obi Toppin getting the kind of notoriety that he does, but as I've indicated before uh, on other podcasts, he is floating all over the place from I seem as high as number two, I seem as low as number 14. So like you said, it all depends. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder and his defensive shortcomings. You know, it depends on how many individual teams out there can say, you know what, we can still go ahead and develop that end enough to the point where he's passable and obviously exploit all the other great gifts that he has. Yep, I, I agree. And then also I think some some people may feel because he's 22 that he's a little older. They may go with somebody that's 19 or 20 above him. I just think that you can't discount what, what he's done. I, I heard Chad Ford say on a podcast, don't tell me what a guy can't do. Show me what he can do. And if you're if you're using that train of thought, then then I could see why you would have Obi as the best, maybe even the top five pick in this particular draft. There you go. Obi Toppin, I think, is a great talent. I think he's definitely a top 10 pick, in my opinion. But you're right. The 22 years of age, that always seems to be a drawback. Unless you're a team that's ready to win now. If you're a team that's on the fringes of the playoffs or you're a team that wants to, that's a playoff team that wants to make the trade to get another quality player on the roster, he could be somebody that they could be targeting. I mean, not necessarily the teams that are on the lower end of the food chain, Mm -hmm. but the teams that are right there playing for a playoff spot or thinking they're in line for a playoff spot or a playoff team that can make a couple of trades to swing it and say, he might be a missing piece that we need. So you say like a team like Washington, maybe? Uh, If you think they're ready to go ahead and be in the eighth spot next season, per se, or if you say that's uh, somebody that's 
just outside the the you know let's say like a new orleans that has mm-hmm. a lot of talent on their team that may be missing something uh, obviously with zion that would be hard mixed right there but let's just say a team that has a, a lot going for them already uh maybe even golden state if golden state doesn't see enough in james wiseman or they have to keep that pick or they feel compelled to keep that pick maybe someone like obi Toppin could play that role the five for them yeah on my on my youtube channel and most of the comments i've been seeing under his name are warriors fans saying he's perfect and actually he probably is perfect for them in a sense because he's a good pastor and like I mentioned, that's probably the most underrated aspect of his game. And if you have him with Draymond and Steph, and um, I think that their offense would, the continuity of their offense and the ball moving, it, it would be great. I mean, the Wiseman is not much of a passer. So, yeah, Warriors fans like him. I don't think I would take him as the number one pick. But if the if Golden they State, trade down. Yeah, if they trade it down, then that's someone that you could – you, I would definitely look at in that case. There you go. Excellent. Excellent points indeed. Once again, I'm talking to Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. You got to go ahead and subscribe to his YouTube channel and check out his site, nbadraftjunkies.com. Well, I was going to get you three topics, but I went off on so many tangents. That's my bad on that. We'll go Me ahead too. and touch it. Well, <laughs> hey, you're the expert friends so don't worry about that it's always great when you talk but it's not so great when i talk so much but i will say this that we're going to go focus in on the five teams that you feel that you have the best chance to build through upcoming drafts we're going to go ahead and touch on that subject because we'll go ahead and talk about the top 10 small forward wings because you know wings 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 i feel like we're at wing stop wings 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 you know they're so important in today's nba and whatnot so that's something that has definitely evolved with the game as well but before we head on out, I wanted to go ahead and talk to you about, you know, people say, what makes you an NBA draft expert? What makes, you know, you more knowledgeable or whatnot? Not only do you do the research, not only do you do the the time and the travel and the stations involved on it, because I've already, the little, little time I've known you and, and all the investigating and all the research I've done into your site and all that, I see the time, effort, and detail you go into it. And as you've talked about on our first conversation that we ever had, is that it's a crapshoot on a lot of times. And you you know, you know think you have everything lined up and it can go wrong. But you can also say with players that a lot of people can underestimate. They, they can just pass them off as, as players that aren't going to even make the league or they're going to be a fringe NBA player's best. I want to hear from you before we head on out, five sleepers that you got right, not necessarily to say to others, ha, 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 but obviously when you – get that satisfaction of discovering somebody or really getting high on somebody that is not as high by everybody else or many others that develops into that player. It's got to be a certain sense of satisfaction. It definitely is. And and sometimes you feel protective of the player because you feel like, all right, nobody else is high on him as I am. And then once you, you know, it's kind of like he becomes your guy, you become very protective of and you know defending the player as if you have a personal relationship with him it's hard for me to say five guys that that i feel like i was that i really got right but the one that stands out to me the most was i was high on Derek white i saw him when he was at the 
I forget the school, but when he was at the Division II school, and then he only had one year at Colorado, and I was high on him, even though he was a little bit older than the other guards in that particular class, but I felt like he was going to be an impact NBA player. I felt like he was a, a starting NBA player, starting point guard, and so far I can say that I've been right. I mean, he was actually on Team USA for the World Cup, which I didn't predict that, and I don't think anybody would have predicted that, but that's the one that probably stands out to me the most as far as someone who I was high on and has gone above the expectations that were placed on him. And that's the one that you can have a sense of pride to say you got it right and a lot of others got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. And then probably the obvious, it's, it's obvious in a sense, but it's not. I was really high on Luca, uh, Luca Doncic, and that's because I saw him play. Um, I didn't think, I thought he was the best player, but I didn't think a team would take him number one out of fear of the backlash. And on that part, I was right. I thought he was better than Aiden, I thought he was better than Bagley everybody else but I just didn't think even if a team felt like he was the best player I, I, I just didn't think that a team would have the guts to take him number one out of fear of backlash because for whatever reasons our European players coming out early in the draft get compared to the ones who didn't make it as opposed to the ones that did and so I think that played a role in you know him falling to where he fell and I'm sure those teams regret it. <laughs> Phoenix and Sacramento Definitely, I think, regret it. Although DeAndre Aiden is going to be a, a very good center in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is he's going to be a very good center in the league, in a league <laughs> that's changing. So, you know, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and it comes down to the playoffs and you're, you you hear so much about how these big centers get played off the court, he's going to be one of those players that gets played off the court. And Luka Doncic is going to be there. Let's say a Dallas-Phoenix playoff series. Dallas could literally just go ahead and play Phoenix right off the court and DeAndre Aiden. So I, I agree with you. Luka Doncic is just had that talent and you could see it clear. And Phoenix, I could kind of maybe tiny understand, you know, because you see the the talent that DeAndre Aiden has, but Vlade in Sacramento, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this story came out that he had a relationship with his father and, and something went on between there, but, you know, the coach at the time was the, the coach of the the national team. I don't know. That's that was that's on the if I remember correctly, correct? Uh oh no, that's right. He's the he's the coach there now. He's an assistant yeah. there now. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. uh, but I guess Sacramento with their with their European they have two guys that are high decision makers that have a European background. You would think that they would they would have taken him, but Again, I just feel like they were too scared of of them looking like they were making a homer pick. And it's something that is probably going to haunt that franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. Oh, I say so. And uh, <laughs> the, how should I say, how, the cruelty continues for the folks in Sacramento. I mean, just uh, never seem to get a good shake. But, you know, that's part of its decision making right there for you. Uh, I loved Vlade as a player for the Lakers, but as a GM, he, it's just it's gone all downhill. So it is what it is. Yep. Well, all right, my friend. Before we head on out, just want to go ahead and give a big shout out to your site 
NBA Draft Junkies.com, plus also your YouTube channel. What are you working on besides those great conversations that you have now, right now, with your brother at NBA Draft Junkies? I plan on focusing on that for this week, and I, I maybe drop four or five of those videos, and we'll talk about different prospects. And then going, just rewatching film and going back to doing a second round of evaluations on the players. My goal is to put about 30 videos this month and just kind of keep building from there. I want people to be able to come to my side of my channel and know like, man, this guy is working. This guy is working hard and he's putting in the time and the effort and just kind of bringing my own flavor, my own twist to the draft evaluation. I don't know the game of it. There's, there's a lot of guys that are, that are doing sites and, you know, coming up with big boards and it's just, my version of it, that's probably a little bit different than theirs. Well, if you take a look at right now at NBADraftJunkies.com and you see the quality stuff he's got there, or you go over to YouTube and you like and you subscribe all the stuff that he's doing, you can see it right there. Right there. Three hours, two days, two days, one week, one week, one week, one week, two weeks, two weeks, three. You see the work that he's putting in there. And that's Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. So please, if you can, if you're into the NBA Draft at all, it is a must. You have the time now, uh, due to the unfortunate events that are out there, you have the time now to check out all of this great stuff, NBA Draft Junkies, so you're more educated on the players that may be the next stars or the next good role players or the next people that make you mad and players that make you mad and frustrated. You can see them all right there at NBADraftJunkies.com and NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube. All right, my friend, it's been a great episode. We're talking top 10 small fours. The next time you and I meet head to head, uh, cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak to me. Any last thoughts on the way out? No, that's it. I just thankful for another opportunity. I think this is our fourth episode. This is our fourth episode. I, I'm blessed you come back. So I just appreciate it so much. My, my word is good. Anytime you want me as a guest, I'm available. Sounds good indeed. We'll do so. In fact, like I said, we got four more positions at least to cover on so that's a, a lot more episodes so i'm sorry for you but it's great for us right here at the lakers fast break podcast